0: Hello and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us online. For daily encouragement, events, service times, and more, check us out on social media. And now, this week's message. It's a uh, it's a scene straight out of some classic Western. There's a rising sun, sweat already on his brow, dust and cattle and sun-worn wooden planks bleached by extreme heat, and the relentlessness of of the weather some tumbleweed blows past the frame and you begin to be able to see this is extreme this is a western you hear his boots before you see his face the camera pans up to reveal not just the denim but the the worn face above the denim David this is King David That David, Old Testament David, he's older now, grittier. Those rugged features reveal a past that at one time was less worn, less grizzled, less trampled by time and hurt and a little bit of pain. There's a peace on his face, a calm, serene. He's seen trouble in his day, that much is clear. And as he clears his throat... As he sits down in the rocking chair that creaks on the worn wooden porch, his attendants and farmhands gather around and you can hear the authority, heck, you can hear the royalty in his voice. And I settle in, I grab my popcorn, I grab my Diet Coke, because they cancel each other out, I sink into my seat and I say to my wife, this is going to be good. So if you've got your flat screen with you, you can open up right now to a passage of scripture we don't often look at. 2nd Samuel chapter 9. You may want to use your table of contents for this one. It's a bit more difficult to find. 2nd Samuel comes after first Samuel. So there you know there you go. A little ha- uh, heads up for you there if you're joining us online, we want to say a special greeting to you as well. If you don't own a Bible, you can grab one from around the room. Raise your hand, somebody will bring you one. We want to make sure everybody has a Bible. We love looking at this thing together, right? And I do, guys. I do think there are images in here. It's like a movie. If you can just see what the Lord has given us, if you can unpack the fla- the scenes that he is setting through his word, this book changes everything. Second Samuel is not a book we turn to a lot, right? So I'm giving you plenty of time to get there. So before we jump into this story, this story that the Lord has been kind of blowing me up with in the past couple of weeks, I'm praying he does the same for you. God, God has been revealing so much of my own heart through this story. And it's a bit of a different study today. For several weeks we've been looking at, you guys may remember, 1 Corinthians. Today I just wanted to stop in the 1 Corinthians thing and just reveal to you something the Lord has been teaching me. It starts with the King David. But he's an older King David. But we know his story. If you don't know David's story, you guys remember? He was the runt of the litter, the the brother, the son that nobody esteemed, right? In this flashback that only the lens of Scripture can provide us, he was the one when all the other sons were being raised to be great men of God, David was the one out in the fields watching sheep, right? Nobody even considered him. So when that prophet came by that day, you guys may remember, when David's father was pacing that same wooden porch, looking out, and he sees this old man with a horse coming over the horizon, the prophet is coming to Jesse's house, the Flying J Ranch of Jesse. And as he paces back and forth and sees him approaching, we find out from the Bible, the prophet is coming to anoint the next king of Israel. David doesn't know this. Jesse doesn't know this yet in the story, in the beginning of David's story. But Saul, who was the king, had forfeited his right to be king. He had been disobedient, dishonest. He didn't live the way God called him to. And so the prophet said, that's it. No more kingship for you. We're going to take this away and give it to somebody else. And God sent this prophet to go anoint the next king. And as he gets closer to Jesse's house, he announces to Jesse, hey, One of your boys is going to be king. And Jesse's excited. This is good news. And the prophet says, round them all up. Get them on the porch. We're going to find out which one it is. And so they line up. There's a bunch of boys. They line up in order of age and height, right? So they go down the line, and the prophet gets out his little king detector. He's got this wand, right? And I don't know. This is how I see it in my head. And he waves it in front of all of them, and it doesn't go off. And he's like, stupid thing. Like, maybe it's the batteries, you know. So he changes the batteries, and he does it again. And the thing doesn't go off. And he's like, I swear God said one of your boys was going to be king. So he does it one more time. doesn't go off. And the prophet goes this can't be all your kids there's got to be another one and and jesse goes no this is actually there's one there's one he didn't even think about david david's out there with the sheep right he's like there's one he plays with sheep he writes poetry like he plays on a harp he ain't a king right And he's like get him anyway right so they bring david and put him on the on the porch and he uses the wand and it's like boop 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 it goes off he's like this is the king And so the prophet anoints David to be king. But there's a problem, a tension in the narrative. There's already a king of Israel. So what do you do? If you're David, you go back to the fields you go back to the sheep the other brothers get to go join the battle Saul is locked in in a battle and there's a 40 day standoff we find out in scripture this is all bringing us to us up to speed there's a 40 day standoff where the people of Israel aren't able to advance on the on the Philistines right and we find out it's because of this 9 foot giant who is daily taunting the Israelites he comes out every morning and you hear that deep Voice echoing out from the horseshoe shaped valley of Elam send me a man, your best one on one, mano y mano, winner takes all. And all the Israelites are going, We're not going up against Goliath. That guy's huge. Nobody can beat him. And for 40 days, Saul has to hear his leadership questioned. For 40 days, they have to be made fun of, mocked by that loud, booming voice. And there's no advance, no change, no victory. He mocks the God of Israel. And meanwhile, at the Flying J Ranch of Jesse, a little David is playing with some sheep when his dad says, "Son." There's been no word from the battlefront. I don't even know if my sons are alive. I need you to go and get some news. Here, take this, take this bread, take this cheese, take it to your brothers. At the first sign of danger, drop the sandwiches and run, right? And David doesn't listen to his dad that day. He gets there and he hears that voice again booming out from the valley, and David goes, who is this, you guys remember, uncircumcised Philistine, which is a major diss in the Old Testament. Who is this uncircumcised, who's calling out my God, right, and the guys are like, he's a giant, ain't nobody gonna fight him. He's like, how long has this been going on, 40 days, and David goes, what's in it for the guy that beats him, and he's like, women and money, and David's like, women and Can you say, can I get that in writing? It's women, you know, he says that he has them clarify several times. It's in your Bibles. You should read your Bibles, right? He's like, ladies and money, okay, I'm in, right? And so you guys remember the story. He tries to put on the king's armor and he can't wear it because it's too heavy. And he's like, but I'm pretty good with a slingshot. Can I just use a slingshot? And he goes out and he takes five smooth stones, but it only takes one. And bam, guy falls and David is a hero. And you remember the, the parade as it goes back into town? Remember as they approach the village, the ladies come out from the village to sing as Saul and David re enter the city. And the chorus, the song that they sing is Saul has killed his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. And the Bible says from that day on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Uh uh-uh. uh. There's only one throne, kid, and I'm on it. And from there, this fighting begins between the two. And David has to run for his life. David has to avoid the king. He has to go. He's sleeping in caves, right? Because the king wants to kill him. And this is the tension in the narrative bringing us up to our story here today, right? Uh, David is avoiding the king. The king is trying to kill him. David has no friends except one person. One person on the whole planet that he swears a covenant to. One person he's connected with no matter what happens I got your back and you got mine and it just so happens to be the son of the king Jonathan and then one day there's all this fighting and a battle explodes It erupts on the battlefield and Jonathan's dead and Saul is dead and David is king and then 15 years go by that's the setting for our story this morning 2 Samuel chapter 9, if you've got your Bibles, I bought you a ton of time to get there. That was, You guys are going, we're just now getting to the scriptures? 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 when David realizes one morning that he's woken up and everything in his life has changed. Verse 1, David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said, Are you Ziba at your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for God's sake? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame and both feet. Where is he, the king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, and Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Machir, son of Amuel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Lord Jesus, as we look at your word, uh, would you speak to us? Take my tongue. Amen. Recently, um, I feel like this is one of those stories that the Lord had been challenging me with in my own quiet time, something that has sort of served as reflection in this season of life that I'm in. And so this morning, this Sunday, rather than continuing the, the study in Corinthians, I just, I felt compelled to just bring you into something that the Lord has been working through in me and invite you in and just really treat this as my therapy session. So thank you for coming to my, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> What I found in this story is how David, I, what I find so beautiful about this story, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David wakes up one morning at an intersection. It's the same one, by the way, that we're all in today, right? There's this intersection in the story between David's past, all of those elements that had led up to him being king, right? And his future, all the hopes that he had as king of Israel, all of those things. He finds himself at the intersection between past and future in a throne room called now. And it's the same place we find ourselves, no matter where you've come from, no matter what's going on in your life, like I am not a suit. I I, can, I, don't, I can't see the future, but here's what I know about you: you are at that same intersection. We're in a spot called now, right? It's the it's the difference, the space between past and future. And in this story, David finds himself in that same space, and he reflects on as he looks over his past. He reflects on the fact that he's king, and he remembers his covenant with Jonathan. You guys know, Jonathan is his best friend in the world. They swore an oath to one another. They made a covenant with one another. And he begins to remember that covenant. And he remembers somebody connected to to Jonathan that he actually doesn't meet until this story the, the author of 2 Samuel gives us this great foreshadowing. I love this. The, the way only scripture can do. In Second Samuel chapter 4, it says that Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. You'll notice every time his name comes up, the author wants to make sure you know he's lame in both feet. Mephibosheth is lame in both feet. He's five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan comes from Jezreel. His nurse picks him up and flees. But as she hurries to leave, he falls and becomes disabled. There's a lot going on in this story. This little flashback that it gives us. And that story in, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 4 where we first meet Mephibosheth, it is in the wake of the death of Saul And Jonathan. Remember, we said a moment ago there's all this conflict. Everybody's fighting, right? And so Saul is dead, and Jonathan is dead, and now Mephibosheth is the next in line for the old regime that's claiming the throne. The problem is there's a new regime. David's taking the throne. And it's not unusual in that day and age. Heck, it's even common. It's expected in that day and age that the new regime slaughters all remaining people of the previous regime just in case there's one throne I don't want you trying to get it so I'm gonna go through I'm gonna find all the family members from the previous regime and I'm gonna execute them right and so Mephibosheth is that guy in this story so Jonathan's dead Saul's dead and 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 Mephibosheth is fleeing as a five-year-old. His nurse scoops him up and takes him and she falls. There's an accident and it seems like his feet get broken in that accident. But because they're fleeing, because they're literally hiding for their lives, because they're expecting David or whoever the new leader is, is going to come and execute me. So because they're fleeing, because they're hiding for their lives, they don't get it looked at. They don't get it treated. They don't get the injury corrected. And so they the, heat, the feet heal improperly, right? And so what we find out is that there's 15 years later, Mephibosheth is still lame. He can't walk. He was, in, he was running for his life, and that's when, when all this happened. David has likely been distracted for 15 years now because that's the setting for 2 Samuel 9. Right, 15 years goes by, and he's adjusting to being king. He's getting adjusted to being in charge of the, of, the, of the kingdom, right? And so one morning, David wakes up. The dust has settled. Changes are done. Everything, all the adjustments have been. David wakes up one morning. This is verse one. He goes, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So he just wakes up one day. He's like, man, that... That chapter behind us was nuts, right? There's all that fighting, all that crap. I can't, I'm in, I'm in charge now. Like the dust has settled. I'm getting used to the changes in my life. I'm getting used to being in control of the throne, right? So is there anybody out there that I, I can show kindness to? And I love this for Jonathan's sake. I want you to see the shift that happens in the story. He starts out going, okay, I made this covenant to a guy named Jonathan, I'm very loyal. Him, You know, so I've got to make good on that covenant. So is there anybody still left from Saul's household that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake, right? So it's kind of a, uh, it's loyalty, right? But it's also like this pact that he had made. So it's just, you know, he's got to, he's got to do good, right? His act of kindness is motivated by his by his commitment to Jonathan. But then look what happens. He goes, now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. So this is a servant of so- Saul's dad, but Ziba knows things about Saul, right? And his family. So they summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, and I love this. Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show, circle, underline, highlight? God's kindness. It's different. The difference between verse 1 and verse 3, there's an evolution that happens at first. It's just like there's this commitment that I've made that i got to make good on, right? By verse 3, David's like, I am in a position now that I've never been in before. God has been good to me, and I want to pass that kindness on to somebody else. Kindness. I love that word. Mercy, grace, favor, generosity, Kindness. I want to show kindness. So his kindness is motivated in the beginning of this story by Jonathan, but it's catapulted into action by God. Verse 3, Ziba answers the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's lame. There it is again. He's lame in both feet. The author is like, just in case you missed it. Like, he's lame in both feet. And David goes, where is he? So Ziba answers, he's at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, and lo, the bar, right? So David goes, okay, go get him. And imagine being Mephibosheth in this section of the story. For 15 years, he's lived in hiding. For 15 years, he's lived in fear that one day there'd be a knock at the door. And that Thought has probably kept him up at nights, right? Given him nightmares. The idea at some point, like the, the king might come for you. He might come to execute you. And now after 15 years, that time has finally come. And he's probably thinking, I'm going to die. There's no. I mean, nobody would be wrong for doing it. That was normal in this culture. Nobody would have blamed David for executing the dude. Have you ever noticed, by the way, There's so many times in our lives, so many times in my life, when I think about what's normal, what's expected, how nobody would blame me, and it's like so often in the Bible, it's like that's how the story starts, and then God goes, okay, okay, but that's not, if you do something just a little bit different, right, I know everybody else might be, But if you just do something a little bit different, if you just go above, nobody would blame you for executing the guy. But if you just show kindness instead, I dare you, I dare you to do something a little bit different. Watch what I can do with that. So often we settle for normal. We settle for expected. So King David has him brought from low to bar, and I bet if I'm Mephibosheth, I'm like, this is it. This is the moment. This is the one that we talked about, right? They probably trained for years. Like, all right, if there's a knock on the door, it's like the alarm. Like, here's what we do. There's the panic room. You got, you know, they get Mephibosheth, and they bring him to David. And then verse 7, David goes, don't be afraid, which is like too late. <laughs> like, I'm pretty scared, right? I'm, I'm probably going to die. And he goes, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I, what? What? Then he, he goes on, he goes, I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. I'm going to give you all that real estate, all that stuff that you had left to you, like supposed to be yours, I'm going to give it. And then, this is so cool, the last part of this promise, and you will always eat at my table. David is going, I'm going to be good to you, I'm going to be great to you, and I'm going to be awesome to you. You know like you're going to get land. You're going to get all the land that was that was due to you and then on top of that, you're always going to have a seat at my hey, you have somewhere to live? You have somewhere to eat? You guys, I I've got the big I got the best home in the country. You want to live here? I got the best food. Hey, you want to eat at my table? Come on, come on. Come on. I'm going to treat you like a family member. It's beautiful. In the season of dust settling, 15 years, David allowed time for the dust to settle. And then one morning, he goes, all right, now it's time to wrap up the loose ends from that previous season. I began to think about this in my own life because it felt like for me, probably for many of you, the the world that we came from in the last few seasons has been crazy, crazy. Right? I mean, I think about this sometimes. It wasn't that long that COVID happened, and it changed everything. We've all gotten used to being back out and the like everything is normal again. but just think about how a few years ago, literally everything shut down. Like it got weird quick. And then in the middle of all that, for me personally, what I didn't know is Pastor Tim Holt who who planted this church. He began praying about like retirement and handing this off to somebody. And me and some friends, we were doing this Bible study thing just down the road, right? And we began to ask, okay God, what if you brought both those families together? What if we all came together for this new thing that we think that you might be doing? And it was like all this stuff going on. It was exciting, but it was crazy at the same time the world was just it was just swirling it felt like out of control and as as a society we all kind of lived this together we all watched it together and then one morning it's like you wake up like for me recently I felt like I woke up and was like man that was crazy that previous chapter was nuts there was a lot going on that season was crazy mate Have you ever realized, by the way, that's what life is, is a series of seasons? Season after season after season, and each one feels total and crazy when you're in it. And the whole time you're in that season, all you're thinking about is like, okay, if I could just get this season under control, right? If I can just get my hands wrapped around this season, if I can figure out, if I can get through this season, and about the time you get that season figured out... You're off into the next one, and the next one you're like, boy, this is a crazy season, right? And you look back at that last one, and you're like, it was easy back in that season, right? Each season is crazy. And then before long, what you realize is that life is just this endless parade of seasons. And then you're in the last season, and you're like, that was life? Like, my life is a bunch of crazy seasons. It never gets easier, it never gets less complicated. David wakes up in 2 Samuel chapter 9 and goes, okay, it's been about 15 years. I gave it a minute for the dust to settle. There are times when I think it's valid to wait, to give it a second for the dust to settle. Things in your rear view that you know you got to deal with and you can't deal with it right away. It's raw and it hurts. And so sometimes I believe it's valid that we have to close some doors from our past in order to move forward into the future. We just got to shut them. Can't deal with this right now. And you give it a minute. David gave it 15 years. But we don't get to stay there. You do have to shut it. Sometimes you have to shut it. You have to give it a minute. You have to be fully prayed. You got to focus on, okay, God, what are you saying to me? What I love about this story is in 1 Samuel chapter 30, so at the end of the previous book, right before, this season, David and his men had been fighting. It had been crazy, it had been loud, it had been confusing, right? And they're out there fighting, and they come home to their village to find that their enemies had burned their village to the ground and killed all their family members. You guys remember this story? And the men, the soldiers, are wailing because all their families are dead. And David's family is dead. And then on top of that, David has to hear his men gossiping about his leadership. They're all questioning his leadership. So he's mourning and grieving his own family. And then on top of that, the men that he trusts are questioning him. And it says in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, this stopped me in my tracks. It says, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. And then I love this line, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself. In the Lord. In the year 2021, for me personally, I felt like that's what God was calling me to do. It had been so crazy in the previous seasons, COVID, senior pastor transition, all this stuff, like as a church, as a culture that we had been walking through, all this crazy thing. This got so loud out there, right? And there's all these opinions and all this stuff. And I felt like for the year 2021, the Lord gave me one word, which was wait. Wait. And I spent that year, you guys, trying to do what I read David did here, just kind of shut off all the other voices and go, okay, God, I want to strengthen myself in you. I want to strengthen myself in you. I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your voice. And so in that season, that's what I did. I think that it is proper sometimes to shut all those other doors, right, so that you can, so that you can hear God as you move into your future. It is logical and it's healthy to do that, but you don't get to stay there. David did it for 15 years, and then he wakes up one morning. The dust has settled. Things are normal. People have changed. Circumstances have shifted. You wake up one morning, and the Lord lays it on your heart. David goes, is there anyone still left from that last season? Because i got to tie up some loose ends. i got to go pick that back up, right? Any unfinished business out there? Any loose ends? Anybody that I need to show kindness to, you start to look around and ask. And I think, too, for me, this is sort of what God was doing. It's like he started opening my eyes up to a couple of folks who was like, you know what, I need to go, uh, I need to go deal with that. I need to go talk. I need to go show the kindness of the Lord to And it began to be this thing that I was feeling in my heart, like, God, I think you're calling me to do this. And then my flesh would kick in and go, no, it's going to be too weird. It's too awkward. Don't open those doors back up. Are you crazy? Right? And I began to pray about this and talk to other people about it. And then in my Bible study one morning, I I do this uh, devotional by Oswald Chambers called My Utmost For his highest, right? And this one morning, I had been praying about, God, I feel like you're calling me to do this, but I just don't want to. I just don't want to. And then I read the devotion for that day. And here's what Chambers said. The golden rule to follow to obtain spiritual understanding is not one of intellectual pursuit, (laughs) but one of obedience. It's like, oh, If a person wants scientific knowledge, then intellectual curiosity must be his guide. But if he desires knowledge and insight into the teachings of Jesus, he can only obtain it through obedience. If spiritual things seem dark and hidden to me, then I can be sure that there is a point of disobedience somewhere in my life. Intellectual darkness is the result of ignorance, but spiritual darkness is the result of something I simply don't intend to obey. No one ever receives a word from God, he writes, without instantly being put to the test regarding it. We disobey and then we wonder why we're not growing spiritually. But Jesus said, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled and then come offer your gift. He is saying, in essence, don't say another word to me. First, be obedient by making things right. The teachings of Jesus hit us where we live, he goes on. We cannot stand as imposters before him for even one second. He instructs us down to the very last detail. The Spirit of God uncovers our spirit of self-vindication and makes us sensitive to things that we have never even thought of before. But when Jesus drives something home to you through his word, don't try to evade it. If you do, you will become an imposter. Examine the things you simply tend to shrug your shoulders about and where you have refused to be obedient. And you will know why you are not growing spiritually. There's this image that he put in my head of like someone who's just like crossing their arms and going, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And I went, oh think that's me so I began to pray like Lord I think you're calling me to be obedient even at the risk of being fanatical and I wonder this morning if I'm the only one is there someone in your life that the Lord is calling you To go to. Someone you need to show kindness to. I mean, nobody would blame you for not going. Nobody would blame you. It would be totally normal for you to go, you know what, I, I'm not going to do that. Nobody would have blamed David for executing Mephibosheth. But man, this story wouldn't be in the scripture. Look how it Mephibosheth. In verse 8. He goes, uh, it says, he bows down and he says, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? He's like, I deserve death. I deserve wrath. I deserve so much less than what you have given me. The truth, he sounds like King David. King David, just two chapters before, says the very same thing to God. David, sitting on his throne, is like, I cannot believe where I am. I cannot believe the tracks that got me here. I can't, man, it was a bumpy road. That was a crazy season, all the things that we, but here I am, like, I can't believe I get to do this like you. I get to have a relationship with the God of the universe. David wakes up one one, morning, 2 Samuel chapter 7, and he goes, Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family? That you have brought me this far. David never loses that perspective. He's like, I was the runt of the litter. I was the poet with the harp watching sheep, man. Nobody is, my own father wrote me off, right? But you noticed me. You told the prophet, God uh, looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. You saw me, and he never gets over that spirit of thankfulness. I think that's why he wakes up in 2 Samuel 9 and goes, yeah, I'm not gonna execute the dude. I can't believe I get to do this. I wanna show kindness. That's the testimony of scripture, By the way, so often, so many times, I've seen myself in this story as Mephibosheth. Like, I'm the lame dude who's got nothing to offer, who's invited to the king's table, which is true. The Bible says spiritually, the gospel is this. If you've never heard, I don't want to assume everybody knows the gospel. The gospel is that God has done everything necessary to get to you. We are broken and lost and messed up in our own sin and God comes to us in the person of Jesus and he takes all of that sin of your life and he nails it to the cross and Jesus wore it on your behalf and then the righteousness of Jesus gets placed on you so that when God looks at you, if you've accepted what he's done for you, he sees the righteousness of his son. He can have peace with you. You get invited to the table. What I didn't realize until reexamining it this week is that boy? Because that's been done for me. I'm not Mephibosheth in the story. I'm I'm David. I, I get to wake up and go, man. I cannot believe how, how faithful you. Who am I, Sovereign Lord? What is my family that you would bring me this far? You kind of sit at that table and you go, man. I've received that kind of kindness from God. Who do I need to then go and show kindness to? Nobody would blame you if you don't. But boy, could you imagine what would happen if you did? I believe that that's where David finds himself. He's about to move out into the future in this story. We get this one little pause as he reflects over his past, right, in in this throne room called now, and he's about to walk into his future. And I believe God goes, hey, before I move you into that future, I need you to seal up a couple loose ends from the past. And I began to pray. I'm like, God, I think, that's what, I think that's what he's doing with us as a church, right? I think the, uh, as crazy as life has been, if you didn't know the story about, like, how we all got here, the Lord brought us through that season of COVID and transition and all that stuff, and it has been unbelievable. It's been so exciting. It's been so cool to see what God is doing through you. Because I know I talk about this a lot. I don't ever want you to think that, oh, Tommy's obsessed with finances. I'm not. I just can't. I'm, I get so mesmerized by the fact that, like, you guys, a year ago we owed $1.2 million on this building, that mortgage, right? And, and I've shared this a million times because I'm just blown away by it. Because in my own ignorance, I began trying to understand, okay, how do churches pay off buildings? You have a campaign. You do all these strategies. You do all these things, right? And then in the middle of me trying to investigate, it's like I started noticing like God was already doing it, right? And so it's not even been a year And we have, I think we're in the 100s now, like $100,000 mark for what's left to pay on this building. You guys did that. Like, yeah, I mean... There's been no special, we, (laughs) I'm I'm looking back here, I'm not going to call any names, but we have a couple who just got back from Rwanda, you know, they were able to go, we have a village in Rwanda that we partner with, right, where there's a building there, and a church there, and it's our sister church in Rwanda, we're sending groups over there, folks are, I mean, the Lord is transferring. that's the sort of stuff that you guys get to be a part of, Ross shared a moment ago, we're building houses, guys, this past week, this is so cool, this past week, the lady from, Habitat came out here um, to pick up a check that we wrote for the house we're building. And the check was for $54,000 that you guys gave. Right. Yes. On one Sunday. Like, One Sunday, literally, like a month ago, Kevin was preaching, and I'm sitting over, like right about over there, and I'm going, I feel like we're supposed to ask for $54,000, and I'm like, this is a bad idea. Do you ever have those moments where you're like, this is either a really bad idea, you know, you got to talk yourself out of the, you're like, I can't do that, like, that's a lot of money to ask people to just be like, can you, by the way, we need 54 grand, you mind, you know, giving us 50, and so, and then, you know, so I texted Skip, and I was like, am I stupid, and he was like, yes, but you should do it anyway, you know, uh, (laughs) And so I I got up here and was like, hey, guys, we need 54 grand. And you guys did it, like, right then. You are just like, here, you know, take a check, you know. And so the lady, Skip that this week, the lady came by to grab that check because when it's $54,000, they'll come pick it up. They're like, you know what, don't worry about mailing it. I'll drive for that. Like, I'll come, I'll come get it. You guys are doing amazing things in this season. And I think the Lord has such bright things for our future. Really? Like, I, I don't even know. I think the sky is the limit in terms of what God is calling us to. Truly, because I, I just can't believe we get to live this story. And, and so this week, last week, I've been, we've been praying together as a staff, the elders. Uh, I'm, I've been several hours a week spending with Pastor Tim who planted the church and kind of going, okay, what is God calling us to as a church? Because as soon as we pay, I, I know it's such a... Um, arbitrary line to draw, but to me, in my thinking, once that debt is behind us, right, which is coming, I mean, it's right around the corner, I think there's a new horizon. There's a new mountain that God's going to call us to charge, and I don't know what it is. I I think I'm starting to know. I I I think, and we've talked about this before, but I think the next thing the Lord might call us to is to be a church that plants churches. Dr. Doug Dorman, who was here last, I think he's actually out in the lobby right now. Doug Dorman shared with me, like as we've prayed through this, he goes, one of the healthiest things that a church can do is give birth to another church. And I'm like, all right, maybe that's next. And so then you begin praying, okay God, what do I have to take care of right now in order to make that happen? And one of the things that um, I realized, many of us have realized for years is that um, our name is Seacoast, and there's another Seacoast, and we're getting daily confused with Seacoast, <laughs> like there's a lot of Seacoasts, and so, we're, you know, we're a Seacoast in South Carolina, which is doubly confusing, and then if we're a Seacoast in South Carolina, that's also planting churches, well, this is what that one does, so that's triply, is triply a word? That's triply, that's thirdly tertiary, I don't know, um, it's very, my brain is arguing again, there's all these things, you know, so we began going, okay, God, well, what if, uh, I don't know, what if the next thing is to change the name? To put us in a better position to do that. And so we began praying about that and inviting Tim into that discussion. And I don't know, pray for us as we pray about that, but we just wanted to be transparent with you. Like we just, we're, we're, we're feeling like in this season, our job is to get ready for the next one. And so in praying about that too, It's kind of like the Lord said, in this season, before we move out into the next one, another thing you have to do is tie up any loose ends you got from the last one. Those conversations you've been avoiding. Those people no one would blame you for writing off. Those doors to your past that you've closed and said, I'll get back to that, and you just haven't. Maybe God's put someone on your heart, and you're doing what I was doing, which is standing there with your arms crossed, going, "Nope." Someone you need to extend forgiveness to, the forgiveness that God's shown you, the kindness that God, the God of the universe, looks at you and goes, "That's my kid." Boy, I, I think those little slights that we hold each other hostage to become real small in comparison to what God's done for us. you again for joining us online. We hope you enjoyed the message. To connect with us, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. For more information about who we are, check out seacoastvineyard.com. We would love to hear from you, so make sure you leave us a review or drop us a message. Until next time, have a great day.